трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome to the Russian Football News Podcast. So we've got quite a few topics under discussion for today after a number of weeks away. First of all, we'll be going through the European uh, groups for our Russian clubs. There are four of those. Then we'll go over the Russian national team under the stewardship of Stanislav Cherchesov in the international break, and they got a couple of results recently. And then we're going to go mainly concentrating on Kurban Berdiev, but there's a few coaching mishaps going on as per usual in Russian football. I'm joined by my regulars, uh, editor of the website here, Toka Thilaid. How are you doing? Hey, Thomas, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. And as per usual, from two men in Siberia, we've got Andrew Flint. Hey, thanks for having me back, Thomas. It's no problem. Right, so let's dive straight into this. Um, so we'll go. Th- I'll just go through the groups and then we'll discuss them one by one. So the first group is Champions League. That's CSKA. That group is Leverkusen, Tottenham Hotspur and Monaco. Then the next group relevant for us is Rostov. They're with Bayern, Munich, Atletico Madrid and PSV Eindhoven. Then we're down into the Europa League, which is Krasnodar, Salzburg, Schalke and Nice. And then finally we have Zenit St. Petersburg, AZ Alkmaar, Dundalk and Maccabi Tel Aviv. So we'll just go to the first group first here. Toka, CSKA, what are we thinking of that group? Because on the face of it, you look Leverkusen, Monaco, they could get something above uh, from those sides. But actually, it could be quite difficult because CSKA obviously aren't what they once were. No, I, I have mixed feelings about this group, to be honest. It doesn't have those super teams that we have seen CSK paired with in the past, like Manchester City and uh, Bayern Munich and, and all these teams. But it's still a very difficult group. I think they got one of the most difficult teams from Pud Fall. So, yeah, it, I really have mixed feelings about this. It could be much worse, but it um, it could also be a lot easier. And... CS, even though CSK are, are ranked number one in this team, they came from part one, they are in for for quite a difficult task, and I, I honestly can't see them um, going on to the playoffs after Christmas. Yeah, Andrew, Toka mentions there that CSK were in part one. If you were any of the other teams in the pots, you'd be absolutely thrilled at getting them as your draw, wouldn't you? Well, I think you would, Thomas. I mean, the the fear factor or unknown factor of playing Russian teams away in Europe where, you know, everybody thought, oh, gosh, it's going to be freezing cold and ice regardless of what month of the year it is. That's kind of gone almost. Um, I mean, I, I guess the only other team you, you'd be happy with possibly would be Leicester. But even then, you know, they've, they've got a solid work base. Um, Siska, I, I, I echo pretty much what Toke is saying. It's, it's quite hard to quantify this group. I reckon, um, because I would I would argue there isn't really a standout favourite. Spurs, if any, I would suggest are the best equipped. But then, you know, Leverkusen have got plenty of firepower in their squad, um, and Cisco. I just think they 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 missed a the trick by not reinforcing with you know a couple of decent players. I would have gone for a striker and and a centre back over the summer. Um, I can't understand why they didn't. Um, so I just think they, their squad's a bit too thin. Um, and, you know, last season in Europe, they were desperately disappointing. So I don't want to... Be, I'm always negative on these podcasts. I don't know why it always brings out the yeah, worst we're all me, We're all negative. <laughs> I, think, I think it's something about being Russian football fans in general that, that does that to us. But no, I, it's, it's a tricky group. It is a tricky group. But um, 
you know, I'd say Monaco away is the key fixture for me because if they can get three points from that one, I'd say they they should be able to uh, get third place at least. But I will see. We'll see. So Toka Andrews predicting a third place. I mean, he mentions the Monaco game. I'd probably mention Leverkusen at home. Maybe Tottenham at home. Tottenham have a bit of a reputation, although Champions League, they they probably won't rotate this time around as they usually do in Europa. But if they could get a draw at home to Spurs and a victory at home to Leverkusen and, and again do well against Monaco at home. I mean, Arsene Wenger always says, if you win your home games in the Champions League, you've got a good chance. So would you give CSKA that chance here, Toka? I, I'm, I have to agree with uh, Mr. Wenger. I think for CSK, it's key to win the home games, at least to get good results. They haven't been able to to do that in the in the last couple of seasons. But but if they get away from the home games with seven, six or seven points, which definitely is realistic if you look at these um, if you look at these teams, because they're really they're good. They all of them are good teams, but none of them are great. So yeah, it, it all comes down to what CSK can achieve at their new, brand new stadium in Moscow, and then. Hopefully they can pick up a victory or cover of draws away, and then they should be good. I think this is definitely the kind of group you'd expect a Russian team to advance from. Um, a team like CSK or Zenit, this is a manageable group. But looking at CSK's team this season, as Andrew said, it's it's difficult to be excited for them. It's difficult to to be very optimistic. So if they finish on the Europa League spot, I think I think they should be. They should be satisfied. It's quite ridiculous we're talking about a seed one team going into the Europa League spot. But, Andrew, I was going to say, Toka mentions that the other three, Leverkusen, Spurs and Monaco, aren't great teams. But personally, I'd probably argue that they're all better than CSKA. I, um, well, yes, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think Monaco, I don't watch enough of the French League to know them in detail. But if you look at the squad they had, say, a couple of seasons ago, they've lost one or two of their... Um, you know, the big name players. And I'd even include uh, Radamel Falcao, um, who was uh, couldn't stop scoring for five seasons and then moved to England and just completely lost all his confidence. So, you know, you're missing him. And and don't forget, of course, Lucina Traore on loan at Cisco. So, you know, their, their forwards don't really, you know, instill a great deal of fear in them. But you know, German teams just or well, any German teams in Europe uh, are going to be uh, are going to be tricky. Chikorito, I mean, especially there. Yeah, exactly, and 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 particularly his his type of play. He's a nippy, um, difficult to mark sort of player. Which you know, the classic TSK issue is the the aging defence, and it just becomes more and more of a problem as time goes on. Because it's a it's a worry of mine long term um, that Slutsky seems too dependent on the tried and tested. Uh, team lineups. He needs to be able to show a bit more flexibility about it. Chicharito is. Um, I, when I when I watched him as a as a Manchester United fan in England, I was frustrated by the number of times he was offside. But even if he is caught offside, it's it makes the defenders turn and think. Think right, I've got to watch behind my back, not in front of me. Um, and I think specifically that type of play is going to be very difficult um, for CSK to deal with. Um, and, you know, they've got German internationals in the squad. They've got uh, it Lars Bender, I believe, or Sven Bender. I always forget which they've Bender. They've got Julian Brandt as well, uh, really good winger there. Yeah, I mean, you know, any any pace is also going to be um, going to be difficult for CSK to deal with. Um, yeah, I, I would say Leverkusen and Spurs are, are the better teams. But, you know, it's the new stadium. Perhaps we'll see 
uh, you know, if attendances can stay high, you know, while the novelty of the new stadium is on, it could, you know, it could give them a new edge in Europe. So I'll try and be positive and say there is a chance. Um, but, you know, they've got to play better than they did last season in Europe, certainly. I think somebody was going through a mess detector there for that beep. I don't know what that was. But um, also, Tucker, what I'd say is that CSK, for, for their advantage, is they've got a lot more Champions League experience than those three. I mean, they've all got good European experience and are good in their domestic leagues. But in terms of top-level Champions League, CSK tactically, with Slutsky, and we've mentioned those centre-backs who are so experienced, just perhaps tactically they could come out on top, especially if those... You're looking at a team like Spurs, might be a bit naive going away to Russia, think, oh, they look quite old, we can play sort of Premier League football. But if CSK are very clever about it with their tactics, then they could surprise a few. Sure, they could, but I'd say it's it's a lot of ifs you're throwing at me right now. <laughs> yeah, there, um, there are about five uh, or six uh, in of, there. Of, yeah, of course they have experience, and of course they have they they could be underrated in all these things. But the fact remains that CSK are weaker this season than they were last season, and and last season again, and that Slutsky and CSK never impressed European in those seasons. And it seems that CSK have lost a bit of the magic over this summer. That Slutsky have lost a bit of the magic after that poor Euro and, and everything. So what what I actually really want to see from CSK is that they try to play more offensively this this uh, Champions League campaign. The last seasons we have seen them play very defensively, play with um, almost all their men behind the ball, but the exceptions of either Dombia or Musa. And then almost play cowardly uh, football and then at the same time get some really bad results to show for it, which is almost one of the worst things I know about football, playing defensively and not winning. Uh, so this season, I hope to see them play their chance offensively, show off some of the good players they have. I mean, I definitely think their strengths are in the defense with them. Um, no, no, and the offense, of course, with their midfield and their wing backs and wingers and all that they have, with the exception of a really good strike. I think... They, they should go forward more, and I really hope to see them try to utilise the many good offensive players in the squad. I see you're taking lessons off Hope Solo there, talking about cowardly football with your uh, Scandinavian brothers with the Swedes. <laughs> anyway, I want to move on to our second Champions League group, which is Rostov, Bayern Munich, Atletico Madrid and PSV Eindhoven. Andrew, it's quite strange for Rostov because on the one hand, you're thinking, great, we love the big names, you know, big income, especially for a club like Rostov. But then you're mm. also thinking chances in this group your third place is probably what you're looking at here well i'd say just getting to champions league is success in itself i mean how on earth they could have they couldn't possibly have expected it um obviously after two seasons ago when they just scraped um survival um you know and you know by munich atletico Madrid, i cannot believe they realistically expect anything more than and possibly Atletico Madrid if they get them rattled. And Simeone's not known for being expansive and attacking, so they might get into, you know, if the atmosphere is quite intense at the Olymp Stadium, you know, it's only what 16,000 people, but they're close to the pitch and but it's sure, a strange place. Sorry, sorry, Andrew, but surely Atletico would actually thrive on that. Yeah, no, I, 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 I take your point. Um, I think I could see that game possibly being a draw in the most positive sense for for Rostov, but. Um, I have to be honest. I really don't see. I don't see them finishing above fourth. I really. I do see them, unfortunately, um, finishing bottom of the group. Um, 
Although, having said that, we've seen how they they turned over Ajax with, with relative ease over two legs. So, you know, PSV, I don't know Dutch football in huge detail, but I can't believe there's a great deal of difference between them. So, um, Well, PSV yeah, have I mean, done a lot better in recent seasons than Ajax. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's what worries me about the group. If I, I honestly don't think it's it's a big a big problem for them. If they get third, then that's an added bonus, get some European football. But just just having six Champions League group games financially, that's that's going to be a massive thing for them. I mean, you know, we all know about their financial problems they've had in recent years and the subsequent transfer bans. So I'd say just from the financial side alone, even if they did get hammered in all six games, I, I would I still wouldn't consider it a disappointment simply because what what else could they have expected at this stage? You know, not to mention the managerial changes, which I'm more we'll come on to later in more detail. But um, yeah, so I mean, I I, I I get I'm being negative. I don't see them finishing higher than fourth, but I don't think it's that that bad a thing. You know, so um, I think they should enjoy it. I think you're allowed to be negative in a group like that. Toka, Toka, are you sharing similar negative thoughts or are you a bit more, got a bit more of a smile on your face? I got a huge smile on my face just for the fact that Rostov qualified for the Champions League. That's, that's such an amazing achievement considering all the problems they've had this summer, the problems they had in the past and then um, beating two of the strongest teams in the Benelux in Ajax and Anderlecht. I think it's really, really impressive and as Andrew said, coming to the Champions League itself is a, is a great achievement for the club and it's really going to help them develop further on because they get this financial injection that they've really needed for, for a very long time. And, of course, it's, it's very unrealistic now to, to predict that they will finish above Bayern or Atletico. But with a bit of luck, I don't see why they can't finish third at least, maybe fin- finish before PSV. Um, of course, PSV are the, are the favourites for the third place, but Rostov have a, a good side. They did beat Ajax and Anderlecht, and if they manage to get some good part, some points at home, um, I don't see. I think the two games against PSV will, of course, be be the, the deciding factor here. I don't see PSV either beating Bayern or Atletico, so I think the the, the fight for third place is is pretty open. Although, of course, PSV are the are the favourites because of their European experience and and bigger budget and all that. Well, what I would say is that PSV, they, you know, if you can get a... Did Zenit go through a couple of years ago with just four points in the Champions League in second place, I think it was. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen here. But if you can get four points and finish third, say you win PSV at home and get a lucky draw away, you'd stand quite a good chance there, wouldn't you, Andrew? Just looking at that PSV game again. Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, it does if they really are, um, if it's been you know relayed to them from the directors that this is really a priority, we must get more European football. Therefore, there's a huge amount of pressure on the PSV game. Um, you know, I, I'd hope they wouldn't put pile on too much pressure on the players for that, but it's perfectly possible. I mean, yeah, like like Toka said, get that win at home. I mean, that's an, that's essential. If they if they don't beat PSV at home, there's no hope of them finishing above anybody else. But if they do, like you say. They've they've got resilience. They've got their day in the background. Um, you know, it's not as much of an upheaval as it might look on paper with him leaving. So, you know, it's. Uh, I I would love to be more positive. Um, 
but four points from those two games, and yeah, they they should should get Europa League. So it's, there's no reason why not. Um, and they've shocked us last season, so why can't they shock us again this season? Well, we all hope so. So let's move on to the Europa League now. We've got Krasnodar, Red Bull Salzburg, Schalke and Nice. We're going to see Mario Balotelli in Southern Russia. How amazing is that? So, Toko, what are we thinking of Krasnodar's chance in this group? I think, personally, I'd say them and Schalke are probably the favourites for the top two spots here. Yeah, I have to admit, I don't know very much about Salzburg and Nice. I can see they have some, some obvious qualities when I look at the squads, but Krasnodar definitely have to, to advance this this season. I'd, I'd, I would actually say that it wouldn't even matter which group they finished in. My, my requirement for this for the European, Europa League campaign uh, to be a success for Krasnodar would be to reach around the quarterfinals at least. And and it's definitely doable at, 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 as we speak now because this group is it's tough, but it's not um, it's not that tough. I, we have to remember that last season they were in a group with Dortmund who they actually finished above and I'd say that Dortmund are better than all these teams, although there are probably a couple of Schalke fans who who disagree with me. So, yeah, I, I think Krasnodar will advance from this group. They might even win it. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And what would you say on this, Andrew, with Krasnodar here? I mean, they'll be happy with that draw. Yeah, I think they'd be reasonably happy. Um, I mean, you, you look at the actual destinations as well. They, they're not sort of awkward places to get to. And, you know, Nice... Um, I know they have a reputation for um, surprising people and and actually managing difficult characters. So Balotelli could actually be a brilliant signing for them. Um, and they have, I believe, Yunus Belhanda, um, Moroccan midfielder. So he's he's a useful player. Um, but uh, you know, Krasnodar is such a such a settled squad. I think that's their strength. You know, they've not had to make all the signings that most other clubs in. Russian Premier League have had to, um, which counts in their favour. And of course, they've got Smolov, who just can't stop sm- can't stop scoring. Um, so yeah, I, I, you've got to back Krasnodar to to go through in that one. It would be a huge disappointment if they didn't. Um, and I think the thing about Krasnodar as well in Europe at the moment is, you know, we've seen them get close to Champions League qualification the last two seasons, but realistically, we know they're not quite Champions League quality yet so Europa League is their level so you know doing well in Europa League is a good launch pad for the next five ten years possibly you know get a bit more uh, you know a bit more profile get some people recognizing they can beat the big teams like we did with Dortmund last season um, you know I, I, Schalke, Schalke and Krasnodar to go through first or second like Tech says I don't think it really matters um, as long as they do go through um, and I really do think they should target, put a lot of emphasis on Europa League. They should target it for, um, you know, a fair bit of their priorities this season. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty positive about this one. I think Krasnodar will go through, and um, they'll fly the Russian flag. I think into the into the knockouts. And Toko, just quickly again on Krasnodar, but slightly off topic, if you like. Fyodor Smolov, with his great form in the Russian Premier League at the moment, he could really catch the eye if he starts scoring goals in Europe. So we could see a lot of scouts going to Krasnodar games if he can prove he can step up to that European level. Oh yes, definitely. I think he has already caught a lot of eyes, both by playing at the Euro and keeps scoring almost as he wishes. So yes, definitely, this is um, this is a great chance for him. He's still he's still pretty young. So if he has a good campaign this this season, I I actually doubt he'll be in Russia next next year, at least in, in Krasnodar. 
because he he has so many obvious skills and he he's such a good player who's in form and everything right now and strikers who scores goals are always in the, in demand everywhere okay perfect so now finally the final europa league group we've got zenit st petersburg az alkmaar dundalk from ireland which is fantastic and then Maccabi tel aviv so Andrew, obviously, real disappointment not getting to the Champions League, but they've got to get over that now. And you, being first seed in this group, I mean, not really much contest in this group, surely. I surely not know, and I, I think it might actually be it might be the the most ideal. Well, I mean, of course, you want an easy passage in in one sense, just to make sure you get further games and further money coming in from it. But I think it's just exactly what they need, need um, to get over this Champions League disappointment. Um, you know, if they don't if they don't finish first in that group, um, you know, it's, it, it'll be a huge disappointment. But you know, you look at games like Dundalk. I mean, Dundalk will be happy just to be there. I mean, it, it sounds terribly patronising. I know it is, but you know, they they really can't expect to expect any results in that group. So Zenit could be able to rest a few players. You know, rotate the squad a bit, keep things fresh, but keep the winning momentum going. Um, I think it's I think it's just what they need. Um, so get a few wins under the belt, get a bit of progression, and then when it gets to the serious part, the knockouts. Um, it depends on the draw they get because you can get some really dangerous sides dropping out of Champions League. So they, they may be unlucky depending on who comes down. But you, you've got to hope, like like Token mentioned with Krasadar, at least quarterfinals for both of them. After that, I'd say it would be a bonus. Um, but yeah, they 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 should enjoy banging in a few goals in this group. I'd say. So you think quarterfinals are Zenit? Now, Toker, I'd actually go against that. I think they've got to be going further than that than Zenit, really. What would you say? Yeah, I agree. I think they reached the quarterfinals last time, and that was that was slightly disappointing. Of course, we have to remember that they have sold Hulk and Garay this summer, so they are team in transition right now. Um, in the end, I think much of it depends on the draws. It's it's so difficult to predict the Europa League because you don't know who will come from the Champions League. You can face a team like Manchester United in the first round after the um, after the group stage, or you can meet some walkover. So it's it's really difficult to predict. I think quarterfinals sound realistic, but I, I keep coming back to this, considering how Dnipro went to the final a couple of years ago. I just can't see why a team like Zenit can't do that and. With with Zenit's financial strength and the obvious quality they have in the squad, I think they should at least aim for the for the semi-finals, and then they can always make excuses depending on who they meet and who they are eliminated by by the by later. So quarterfinal, semi-finals, depending on the draws, I think that's both realistic and and a goal that they should be able to achieve and and strive for. Well, I can't wait for that season to just crash and burn, which is what always happens. Oh, well, life of a Zenit fan. <laughs> so, Toko, I believe we've got the round table on this topic coming up with the uh, European team. So, I mean, I know it hasn't gone up yet, but just like a sneak preview, what's the general feeling that our writers have about these European ties? Oh, it's, it's very, very different, actually. There are huge expectations for Zenit, obviously. People... All of our writers, as, as usual, with these roundtables, we discuss discuss certain questions. And one of the questions is which um, Russian team will perform best this season. And the general opinion seems to be that that Senate will have to have to show off their strength. And another general conclusion from the roundtable is that both 
CSK and uh, Rostov will struggle in the Champions League, as we have all also spoken about. Okay, so we can look forward to that going up, I think, well, by the time this podcast's up, I mean, we should hopefully be getting it up around the same sort of time in the day, at least. Anyway, so I want to move on now. We've just had the international break. So Russia were in action. They had a nil-nil draw in that diplomatic game against Turkey, which is probably the most diplomatic result you can have as well. Perhaps a little <laughs> goal each would be a nice little happy bonus for diplomatic relations, but oh well, doesn't happen. And then they, St- Stanislav Cherchesov, new coach, had his first game at home against Ghana. I don't know what either team gained from that match, by the way, by setting that fixture up. But Russia won 1-0. So, Andrew, impressions under Cherchesov? Well, overall, I, I'm pretty pleased with him so far. Um, I think really at this stage, the the squad selection itself is is really the first major stamp he can put on his reign. And I was just pleased to see him put um, put a few new players in there. Um, you know, seeing Ivan Novotseltsev rewarded for his form at Rostov is is a positive. You know, getting young Russian and particularly centre backs uh, gaining more international experience is is only going to be a good thing. Um, you know, so so that that was a positive for me. Um, and you know, two clean sheets. I know they're friendlies, but still, you know, two clean sheets is good, um, especially with the rejig defence. Um, and I'd actually say it's he might even have his first pleasant headache because with Juba being out injured for the for the friendlies, um, it gave Smoloff a chance to be up front on his own. Um, and I mean, those two are the clearly the two informed centre forwards, and it'll be interesting to see how he deals with both of them when they're both fit uh, or available for international games. So, um, but anyway, he was bold enough to put Smoloff up front, rewarded with the goal against against Ghana. So. Um, the results doesn't really matter. The performances were were not terrible, which is is, is about all you can expect at this stage. So I'm pleased with Church stuff so far. I like his boldness. And Toka, and Andrew mentioned it there. We had uh, the squad selections, so we saw a sort of a move away from the CSKA Zenit heavy squads that we've seen in recent years, and we've seen a lot more players picked on form, which is. On the one hand, good, but you also want to create a community around the squad. But lots of people go with the former. You've got to pick the players on form. So we saw a lot of Rostov players in there, for example. Yes, of course. I, I think it's it has been good to, to to freshen up the whole squad. This time, I, I sit back with a feeling that the players who, fit, who were selected for the squad were actually the best possible players at the moment. While earlier, we have seen a lot of players picked on, on former achievements or picked on their relations with the coach or with, uh, to a certain club, like we saw with, for example, Alexei Beresutsky, who went to Euro despite never playing for Vasiska, or when he called up Victor Vassin last season. I think this, this squad uh, was very promising. It, it, it rewarded some players who deserved it and also sent a, a, a clear sign to some of the older players that they had to, to get the act together to to stay relevant on the on the national team, so yeah, I think it's it was a very positive sign for for Churchill and also a very positive sign by the Russian football union setting up these two friendlies against the quality opponents. I remember in the in the spring we talked a lot about that infamous game against was it Lithuania Baltic Cup champions, uh, mate. Baltic so, Cup champions. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. And now now Russia have played two friendlies against strong teams. Um, Teams they could face in the World Cup in two years, and they have actually come out of them with uh, what would have been four points and 
two clean sheets. So I think it's a very positive start. Um, Andrew, I, I did say that I'm not sure what either side gained from this, but the Ghana game was that. Uh, it seems incredibly stereotypical and generalised, but is that? Do you think that was an idea to get a sign of what African teams will play like? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it, it's it's sensible to at this stage, two years out. Um, I think it's sensible to play, you know, a range of different playing styles. I mean, whether it's specifically African or a whichever size it is, I don't think it matters. But it should be a range of different playing styles. So. Um, I mean, you know, Ghana have got some, you know, plenty of players that uh, a lot of, you know, English football fans would recognise. Um, I mean, uh, Jordan, are you up front? I think. Um, I mean, I was a bit disappointed they didn't call up Emmanuel Fringpong after his return to Russia. That would have been interesting for him. But, but well, anyhow, he's your new mate, isn't he? Wow, well, yeah, my best mate, Dench. You know, <laughs> me and him, we hang out. Um, <laughs> it's, it, I think it was. About it wasn't spectacular, but we didn't we didn't need spectacular. You know, I mean, it, spectacular in terms of results or opponent, but they were good, solid, solid games. Um, players got the runouts. It was yeah, I was, I was happy to see that. And Toka, what formation do we think that uh, Churchill will go with in the future, or do you think he'll have a selection sort of? Well, he sh- as a high level coach, he should have a plan A and plan B. So, what do you think those would be? At the moment, we he seems to be experimenting a lot. We had this back three for the game against Turkey. I I hope for for the future. It right now I think it's fine that he is is experimenting a bit, trying out some some different some different combinations because as we said, Russia has to rebuild right now and that takes time. So I think it's fine that he's experimenting at the moment. But looking further on for the World Cup, for example, I really hope that he'll he'll try to play with two strikers up front. It's so frustrating to see Smolov being playing, played out of position or even placed on the bench. And I think playing Smolov and Chuba together up front makes perfect sense. They would fit each other very well. They have different strengths. They have different uh, weaknesses. And I think playing in, um, in a 4-4-2 or... Uh, a five-three-two with wing backs, the only thing on whatever I, he prefers. I think that would would suit Russia very well. The only thing I would say is that a lot of international teams don't play with two up front, so you really leave yourself open in midfield there, which is where a lot of international football is won, really. That's true, but the teams who have the most successful playing with uh, one striker also teams who have much much better squads. I think with. Russia not being part of the world elite, I think playing with two men up front would make perfect sense. Then I'd probably play without um, without wingers because I don't think the wingers Russia have at the moment are are that good. And then instead, Russia has some of the best wingbacks. I mean, they in uh, Shirkov and Smolnikov and Mario Fernandez, they have some great choices as, as wingbacks. Then they could play with three or, or four guys centrally in, in, the, in the midfield. And I think, yeah, Playing a five-three-two or a four-four-two with wingbacks that would make uh, really good sense. It has it has worked well for other teams. We've seen Rostov do it in the domestically and and in European football. Denmark is playing that way at the moment. Also, uh, a, an example to follow, as we all know. Did Did Denmark get to the Euros? No, no, no. But <laughs> they didn't play five-three-two back then. <laughs> okay, so it's all we're going to see a repeat of the early, was it ninety-two, the the win. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, we're gonna nothing see that. less can do it. Yeah, we're going to see that again. But Andrew, Toker is convincing me there with his his 
5-3-2 formation there because then you get the two up front and mm. you still do have the three in the middle. And like you said, those wingers the Russian national team have aren't fantastic. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree with that. I think um, the I mentioned earlier that you know it was an opportunity for Smolov to play up front on his own, and when Juba comes back, what does he do? Well, a good answer, play them both. Um, and I think it, I absolutely agree. It would get the best out of the best players. You know, I, I know I know what you're saying about the you know not wanting to get overrun in midfield, Tom. So it's it's a very it's a good argument, um, and it, it could well be valid. Um, but the only thing I'd say is I think really. To be positive, they've got to get the best out of the players they do have. Um, we've seen Alan Zagoyev play slightly further back for TSK for the last year or two, um, and he seems to be settling into a, you know, not quite such an explosive midfield, you know, number ten almost, but more of a, you know, controlling midfielder, and he could be key to that formation. Um, you know, maybe Ozdoyev will get more of a of a look in with a midfield three, um, and I still personally would have. You know, I would still have um, Samedov, Alexander Samedov, in the squad because I think his assist for Smolov's goal against Ghana was, um, you know, excellent vision he had cutting in. Um, so I still think there's a play for, you know, a Samedov. Um, Zhirkov would be in my squad, possibly even for the World Cup, even though he'll be mid 30s by then for his versatility. Um, but you know, I, I think I think that might be the way forward. You know, keep three at the back. A lot of the teams now in the Premier League are starting to play three at the back or five, three, two, whichever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, Smolikov, Fernandes, um, Djokov on the left. You know, there's there's good options there to, to use the whip. So that's what I would do. I'd play five, three, two. I would do that. By the way, listeners, you definitely heard Mario Fernandes there. Not not Fernandes of, but actual Fernandes, Brazilian name. Yep, he's being naturalised. <laughs> anyway, but I'm, I'm just going to point out to everybody, we're going to big ourselves up here on the Russian Football News Podcast because pre-Euros, we were all talking about three at the back with the success that Rostov had, particularly with Neustadter there. We, we all called it, I'm just saying, we all called that. But, <laughs> I mean, overall, do you think, what are we going to see in the next couple of friendlies then? Do you think he will experiment some more or do you think, you know, he's had these two results with this squad and these formations, do you think he will attempt to sort of drum it into their heads rather than going with another, a lot of changes in the next squad, Toka? No, I certainly hope not. I, I think he'll... I wouldn't mind him picking up new guys. Of course, Huber will return. We could see Kukurin and Mamayev return to the team as well, perhaps. But I hope he'll he'll keep this um, the foundation he has built, and I, I hope he'll build on to that. He, he can keep experimenting, as I said. I, I don't mind right now in the beginning. I think it makes perfect sense, and... So, so yeah, if, if he wants to try something new, I fully support that. But I would like to see at least one game more with this three man at the back. And um, yeah, we could see what he could do. Perhaps he could try out two, two strikers up front once he has both Smolov and Juba fit. So it should be interesting. Next, I believe the next game is against Costa Rica. So again, we have one of these games against a team that Russia wouldn't normally meet. And I think it's... And, and also a quality opponent, which I... Definitely think it's a, it's a good approach. I was going to say earlier, I'd love to see um, Russia play like a South... I know it's Central America, Costa Rica, but that sort of style, height, they did a lot of high pressing and things like that, Andrew. It could be really interesting to see, because Russia haven't faced that in a long time. It could be interesting to see how they cope with a more... High, well, an, an opponent with higher energy, 
essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I go back to what I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that, you know, the, at this stage, the experimentation and getting a wide variety of opponents, we've got to use this time now. I mean, I know we're two years out from World Cup, but, really, but there really is no time to be lost to do the experimenting now. Um, you know what I actually think could be key to the preparations for the World Cup is is the Confederations Cup next year. Um, I, if I was Churchill, I would be, I'd be telling all the players I'm calling up and the fringe players, we're going to take this tournament seriously and we're going to sort of effectively practice building up to a mini tournament um, by taking this seriously. So let's get a bit of, you know, can, don't forget, obviously, by the nature of it, the Confederations Cup is going to have teams from all around the world. So um, getting uh, getting a Latin American team in there with um, you know, with some with some quick players, some as good uh, was it Christian Bolaños, I think it is their playmaker. He's a fantastic player. Um, so you know, it's it's an excellent approach. I think it's definitely the right thing to do. Um, and I do hope they use every international break. Normally, this goes against everything I stand for because I normally hate the international breaks with the wasted friendlies. But I actually think this could be a, a very good two years for Chesterov to to make his stamp. He's got the opportunity to, you know at least influence the RFU's choice of uh, of fixtures. And this looks good so far. You know, it's a good range. So, Toka, this is a bit of a weird argument I've just come up with, but a lot of time with hosts, we think, oh, they don't play competitive football for two years. That is a disadvantage because they're not used to it. But on the other hand, could this actually be an advantage because there's no pressure on them? So whenever you've got World Cup qualifiers, there's pressure. So with Zutski, for example, we saw them go back to the old Capello as well, tried and trusted. Whereas now, because it's not competitive football and Russian football is in the doldrums, then it gives them a chance to experiment a bit, experiment a bit more and there's no pressure on them. So it's actually a good thing rather than a bad thing, which is what we usually hear. Right now, as we speak, I definitely say it's a good thing because it leaves Russia with plenty of time to experiment and all that. But by the time the tournament starts, it, it is a disadvantage. That's that's for sure because it's it is difficult to compare a friendly with an actual qualification match because the, the pace everything is simply higher at, at these real matches that matters. But but right now I'd say it's a it's a good thing for for Russia because they do get the time to experiment. They do get opportunities to to meet interesting opponents and try out new things. So. You can say it's it's a bit of both, I'd say. No disrespect to like the likes of San Marino, but Russia don't have to think about those qualifiers now and think, oh, what if something goes wrong? We better pick a strong squad anyway. Whereas you go into a, a bigger a game against a bigger opponent, and then you can experiment a bit more, Andrew. Well, yeah, I think um, I think by the nature of of um, you know the uncertainty of the manager's position for the last year or two, and especially the confidence in the incumbents, uh, I do think it's a good thing. I know what Toka means about the um, the lack of competitive edge in the run up to the tournament, uh, which is which is why I come back to the Confederations Cup. I actually think it really should be taken seriously. Um, I mean, I, other other countries might might not um, consider it worth anything at all, but. I don't think it really matters what the other countries, um, how the other countries approach it. I think, you know, Churchill simply says, look, I'm going to base a lot of your attitude towards the this this tournament. Let's get a few wins under our belt. Let's get, you know, the home crowd behind us, because that's been something that's been lacking for a long time, the connection between the players and the fans. 
So, you know, the friendlies, it, I think it, it, we, they need to have the flexibility of friendlies to, you know, do it their own way to rebuild for two years. So, and the balance of things, even without that lack of competitive edge right before the tournament itself, I think on balance, it's, it's what's best for Russian football right now. So um, I just hope that they do fix up, you know, the right sort of friendlies. And, and I think very carefully next year, um, you know, this time next year, when it's getting closer and closer uh, about exactly which teams they do play. But so far, I'm, I think it's the right thing for, for Russia. And, it'll, I'm, you know, it's, it's a good thing. It'll be positive. Yeah, you mentioned the Confederations Cup. I've just looked it up now, actually. I was thinking about South Africa back in 2009, and they finished fourth at their Confederations Cup. So clearly they took it. I know the tournament didn't quite work out, but you'd say that Russia have the better squad than South Africa. But it seems they tried to do a similar thing there with that mm. Confederations Cup, and that seems to work well for them. I mean, like I said, at the tournament, it's slightly different, but Russia with the better squad. But I want to finally get a sort of an overview on the Russian national team. Toko... Will Russian fans start to feel more confident now, do you think? There was a, a lot of lack of confidence in fans and players, but the whole these two friendlies, although meaningless perhaps, a lot of confidence. Yes, definitely. I think, as I, as I wrote in, um, in an article on, on our website, the most important thing for Chashchev at the moment is really to regain the trust of the supporters. He has to get the love back from the fans. He needs to get people back to the stadiums for for the for the Russian national team games. And I think they're off to a very good start, actually to almost perfect start. They, he has sent some strong signals to the players. He has made some good comments in the press. He has called up some, I'd say, some perfect squad. And, and they have played some, some decent football and achieved some good results. So it's definitely going in the right direction at the moment. And yeah, I just hope they, they can keep developing, keep going, doing what they're doing right now because... It's, it's, it's looking uh, bright at the moment. Would you echo those thoughts, Andrew? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we saw, uh, we saw a lot of um, reaction in local Russian media, um, you know, social media, people saying after the Euros, they should disband the entire national team. And, you know, of course, that's obviously a ridiculous idea in, in reality. But, you know, it's about as close as you get to that, um, you know, showing the boldness to not stand for the players who have symbolised, whether rightly or wrongly, but in the eyes of the fans, symbolised the attitude that has not inspired them to, to get rid of them, or not, not just get rid of them, but just show them that they've at least got to work for their place. That is the only way that he could possibly gain the trust of the fans. So it's um, I can't see how anybody could be negative about it. The only way you could be negative is if you took these two friendlies to be more important than they actually are. And, you know, that's not Church's fault. That's, um, you know, a fan's perception of the games themselves. So, um, yeah, it's it's it can only it can only be it can only be onwards and upwards from here. I mean, I mean it can't get much worse than the Euros and the, you know, the negative negativity off the pitch beforehand. So. Um, yeah, I think I think fans will start slowly but surely. You know, seeing the new stadium being built, the new squads being built, they can only only be more positive uh, towards the national team now. And now I want to move on to our final topic. Now I've got quite a cool intro lined up. Now this could work terribly because it's off my phone. Now we're talking about Kurban Berdiev, so there's only one song that should be played here. <laughs> that's enough of Mr. Sim Shady. So 
<laughs> I'm sorry if that was terrible. I just came up with that idea about 30 seconds ago. Anyway, <laughs> Kurban Berdiev is back. He's back again. So, Toka, you, you had a great line about this. You said it was like leaving your wife for a beautiful woman, but returning home once rejected, and that that's what's happened here. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, he... He did. He did, he left Rostov hoping to land a job at either Spartak Moscow, Lokomotiv Moscow, or maybe even the Russian national team. When he left uh, Rostov, all those seats were empty, and now that they've all been filled by other people, he has figured out that he has no other options left in Russia or at all. And then he has decided to to return to Rostov, who he of course guided to the second place last season and. All those sensations we have talked a lot about already. And also we've seen a uh, change on the bench itself here, Andrew, with uh, Ivan Danilians coming in there for Kirichenko for, for licensing yeah. reasons. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a strange situation how it's been allowed to develop, isn't it, really? I mean, as far as I understand, the um, Kirichenko was, um, was allowed to be caretaker boss without the UEFA Pro license for a month under was it the, the RFU rules? I believe, yeah, it's the RFU on that. Yeah, that's right. So, so this um, the, uh, Ivan Danilians, I don't know a lot about his style, but what I've what I've read about him, he spent a lot of time with Berdiev as a youth coach um, up at Rubin Kazan. So he'll know Sardar Asmoon well, surely. Um, I think basically it's just a bit of a mess, really. How it's you know Berdiev left and now he's back, and it's how much how much hands-on coaching Berdiev will do himself is going to be interesting because the official position he has is what vice president and I believe mostly overseeing the youth development side of things. And I'm sure he will have a, a at least an advisory position with the first team training if needed. Um, so, you know, what direction Rostov will be in towards the end of the season, I don't know. But I don't believe this is going to stay like this forever. I, I imagine even that we, we, we might even see Berdiev um, slide slowly back into the manager's seat if no other options become available next summer. Um, just simply because what else what else would he do? I mean, it's, it's almost wasting his career or the end of his career to... Um, to not be directing a team, seeing as he is one of, if not the best, tactician in Russia. So um, I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this uh, Danilians will do as a head coach um, with with a, a good, solid squad. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I've just got this image in my head of Birdie. I've sort of scooting along the substitutes bench looking for the head, the head chair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Toko, we say that Danilians is the head coach, but I Surely it's, this is just in writing, really, just to satisfy RFU rules. And Kirichenko, as we understand it, will still be holding the reins. Yeah, that that seems to be the the case. And and we have Kirichenko who will unofficially be the head coach, and we might even have, as Andrew said, Berdiev being the unofficial unofficial head coach all the way behind the lines. It it really <laughs> is a messy and a, a terrible situation for Rastovitz. I think they've made a, made a huge mistake here. It's first of all they have Berdiev, who's a, an enormous capacity, who seems to be wasted a bit as vice president and youth development. Whatever he does, uh, it's still not exactly clear. But it's also such an uncomfortable situation for Kirichenko because he is 
if we assume, if we say he is the, the, the de facto head coach right now, he still has this major capacity and the former success and almost legend in Rostov sitting behind the lines. And, and it's these sort of situations that have caused problems for a club like Spartak for so many years, for example, that they had these former club icons going around in the club but not being officially in charge. I, I can imagine this causing a lot of problems, especially if, if the result starts to starts to get worse because Birdie will sit out in the in the cold and people will start to, to say, why don't we get him back? And he'll start to think the same. And yeah, it, it just puts a lot of pressure on Kirichenko. And I don't think it's a, it's a healthy envi- environment for, for a coach, especially not a, not a young coach like Kirichenko, who's pretty new in the, as a head coach. So, I, I think this is this is a very bad situation for Rostov. But Andrew Kirichenko has actually done quite well since he's been there. There's been no sort of major turn down in results. Well, yeah, he, he has done well, hasn't he? Um, I mean, the the ruling about the the licenses in the first place it just kind of frustrates me really because there are. I mean, I understand you've you've got to draw the line somewhere. You can't just have anybody coming in um, to manage a club. Uh, but you know he's clearly knows the club well. He's been he's he's worked under one of the best managers in the country, um, and I don't know exactly which license he has. I believe it's the he has the the, the level below UEFA Pro license, which is there really that big a difference between UEFA A and and Pro license? Um, but the rules are what they are, um, and what actually surprises me about this whole mess is that. If they they must have known that this was the rule that you cannot have a manager for more than a month without a pro license, and as soon as Berdiev was clearly not going to be taking up a position with Spornaya, Spartak, or Lokomotiv, if they're going to have to replace Kirichenko anyway, why not simply just put Berdiev back in his place? You know, it, it just seems very odd to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, may, maybe Kirichenko. The, the sooner it is dealt with, decisively, the better because. There's so much uncertainty. I mean, we were talking off air beforehand. You know, what exactly is the official position of each of these of, of each of these men? And it just needs to be dealt with quickly, um, decisively, and very clearly. Um, and until that's done, I would just worry a little bit about the medium-term stability um, of Rostov uh, and their results. But so far, they've coped okay. So, you know, perhaps. Um, Perhaps Rostov's pre- uh, Berdiev's presence behind the scenes won't actually be so much of a bad thing as long as it's um, as long as they all know what they're doing. Uh, Toko, we saw Berdiev, like Andrew mentions, he, he took a gamble by leaving Rostov and it, it didn't pay off. Do you think there's embarrassment on either his side or the club side? That's why they haven't brought him back into the head coach role, but they, but they obviously still want him there. It could be. I also think that Berdiev is still hoping to land a bigger job than Rostov. That, that, at least that's how I see it from, from the outside. And that he didn't want to commit to the first team because he's still unhappy with all these things going on at the club. He's unhappy with the lack of investment in the squad. He, we still have these rumors about the players not being paid on time and all that. So I think he, he realized that Rostov have perhaps, perhaps reached their limit unless they invest more in the club. And that's why he's... He's staying out of the coaching game and waiting for another job to to arrive because it is Russia. And as we know, one of the big clubs will most likely sack their coach this season. And 
so yeah, I think he's 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 waiting now for for something bigger to come along. But of, of course, it's it's important to to acknowledge that right now he actually has all the responsibility that he wanted as Spartak and and locomotive. He can he can decide the staff. He he is the guy in charge of the youth development and all these things that he actually demanded at Spartak. And the reason that he didn't get those big jobs in Moscow that that's what he's doing right now in in Rostov. He's just not on the sideline, and that's why I'm. It's difficult to be optimistic on rest of the half right now, I have to say. Yeah, Andrew, you mentioned Spartak there. We've seen Carrera come in from... I mean, that was always a bit weird when he came in with Alienichev there. We we saw that accident mm. waiting to happen. But actually, he's done really well since he's come <coughs> in to replace Alienichev. He's got uh, four wins in five games, the other one being a draw. Well, yeah, exactly. He's um, he's clearly got a very, um, very precise idea how he wants to play. Um, I've seen a lot of the Spartak players come out and say how... The training is much more tactical um, and it's, it's very much theory based, um, a lot more so than under Elenichev. And to me, that shows a coach with confidence in his own ability. Um, and just look at the look at the um, results so far. I mean, um, nobody would have nobody would have before this season <coughs> predicted that Sparta could be uh, be consistent because they very rarely are. Um, but Carrera seems to have that ability to to, to give them consistency. Um, you know, he's got a good grounding. He's been Antonio Conte's assistant before. Um, you know, Conte now at Chelsea. So, yeah, he's he's done he's done a brilliant job so far. And he looks. You know what I I like the most about him is that he looks really passionate about it. He looks truly delighted, really fist pumping when they score, and the players seem to like him already. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see how long-term a plan it is to have him there or how long-term his plan is itself. Um, yeah, I actually strongly suspect that now, with hindsight, um, that Spartak's intention always was to have him um, ask cover for Elenichev. As soon as you bring in a coach of that quality, you know, you're not bringing her in just simply to be another member of the coaching staff. So, you know, I'm wondering how how cunning Spartak were with, you know, when it became clear that Berdiev was interested and, you know, as far as I understand, they did actually have talks. You know, I wonder how much they actually were actually genuinely going to offer him the job. So anyway, Carreo's got the job now. He looks like he's doing um, doing well. And I think the only shame for him is that they they got knocked out by Larnaca, um, AEK Larnaca. I mean, the irony is that had they not been knocked out by them, Elenichev may have stayed in the job. But had they gone through to Europa League, I mean, that really could have been a test of Carrera's ability. So, yeah, really looking positive for Spartak right now, and um, Carrera especially. Yeah, Toka, we had a question on Twitter about whether, well, it's from Tsar. I mean, it's just to all the listeners, by the way, you can ask any questions on Russian football. We've put a notification out before the podcast, so do ask any question. It can be anything about Russian football. But we've had one from Tsar who thinks, who asks whether Spartak can now return to the top of, Russian football this season. Yeah, I, th- I think we, we did have one article on Russian football news um, about why Spartak could actually be in for the season of a decade this season. And one of the reasons was that since they're not playing in Europe this season, which the other top teams are, they have an advantage because they're playing fewer games and because they can focus uh, primarily on, on the league. And I thought well, that's that's a pretty good um, pretty good argument. Of course, Spartak have been out of Europe for a long time now, and 
it hasn't helped them in the past, but I think Sparta could be in for, for an, an interesting season. Of course, they've started well with Carrera. They've managed to keep on to um, to Quincy Promise, which was actually the most important thing that they did on the transfer market this summer. Much more important than any signing they could make. So, so far it's looking good, but we have to remember that it has looked good for Spartak many times in the recent years, and in the end they've always crashed. But, of course, it all comes down to, to expectations, really. Spartak shouldn't aim for the title this season. They could win the title, but that should not be the goal. Spartak's problem has always been that they set too high goals for themselves, and then eventually they end up coming short. If they finish in the top four, it would be it would be a good season for them, I'd say, and qualify for Europe next season. That should definitely be the goal, combined with uh, with a good cup run. So yeah, I think I think Spartak will finish up there this season around the around the top spots, and that will be a good achievement for them. Okay, perfect. We had another question on Twitter, which we absolutely loved, and it's from Connor, and. Basically, we've been asked to do a Russian Premier League eleven, but you can only pick one player from each team. So, Andrew, I'm inviting you to read yours out first here. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I love I love these um, these ideas. It's actually a really really difficult task this one um, because you know you've got all the all the star players, but you know which teams do you, which which positions do you save for the best teams? But anyhow, yeah, I've gone for. Um, uh, Selikov, Amkar, goalkeeper. Um, Mario Fernandez, uh, Choluka, Sergio Sanchez, and um, Fyodor Kudryashov in defence. Um, <laughs> I've I've had to adjust my formation to a ludicrously attacking four-one-three-two, uh, I guess. Um, so my one holding midfielder, uh, Roman Yemelyanov uh, from Ural, and then. My three attacking midfielders are um, Bernard Berisha at Angie, who I'm absolutely huge fan of. I mean, just a devastating winger. Uh, Giuliano at Zanit, been really impressed with him. Uh, I'd probably have to play him in the middle, nominally. Um, He's had a great start to the season, by the way. Oh, he hasn't. He's just been absolutely fantastic. Um, and, uh, I mean, up front, of course, Fyodor Smolov um, and, uh, and Quincy Promise. Uh, wait, hang on a second. I'm missing one out. Who did I miss out? Of? I had. Uh, <laughs> you missed someone out earlier. This is just turning into a. I, know, I, I missed out as a neat player, and then I had to go for Giuliano. Yeah, just just uh, for the listeners, and Andrew had a man sent off before he announced his team. He, he came out with ten men. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, no, sorry, that, that that is my team. That was my team. That is your so team. Fernandez, Choloka, Sanchez, Kudryashov, Yemelyanov, Molo, Giuliano, Berisha, and Promes and Smolov up front. Okay, perfect. And Toko, what's yours? Uh, I have gone with uh, Andrew goalkeeper Belenjov in goal. He has been fantastic this season. Then my four defenders are Vitaly Denisov from Lokomotiv on the left back. I have Fantanello from Ural and Andrei Semenyov from Terek in the central defense. And then uh, Kuzmin on the right back. I have three midfielders. That is uh, Christian Noboa from Rostov, Oleg Vlasov from uh, Arsenal, and then my favorite Pontus Van Blom from uh, CSK. And then up front, I have uh, Fyodor Smolov from Krasnodar, Shuba from Senate, and Quincy Primus from Spartak. And that leaves uh, UFA coach Vitor Goncharenko as my as my head coach. And then I have no players from Krylia, Tomsk, or 
and yeah, I don't remember the last team now. So it's a four three three. Amka, no, no players from Amka oh, either. So yeah, it's a it's it's a four three three. I thought about going with um, Selkup like a. I was going to say they've done really Joe, well this season, Amka. Yeah, but but I thought I thought at the end, Belinjov has been he has been fantastic for Anji, so there was no way I could look through him. And I I really like this this challenge. It was difficult to to find the players from each squad and put them put them together because you couldn't just pick the eleven best players from the from the league. You had to find a way to look at the different strengths of the teams and say, okay, which player can I use here and which players do I do I want from the various teams? So yeah, I thought this was this was a very fun challenge. Okay, so I've gone Selikov in goal, much like Andrew. I've gone Smolnikov at right back from Zenit just because I think he's probably the best player in the league maybe not on current form but in terms of ability he's the only one who could really play top level European football I think and then at the back I've got I've gone Naboa I know you're not very happy with that token but you'll have to live with it mate and then uh, <laughs> we've got Chorluka at centre back as well Lokomotiv did well to keep him then I've got Nibulin at left back for Rubin good player then I've gone with Vernbloom he was my first pick by the way Vernbloom in defensive midfield, along with uh, Yemelyanov, who I know you're a big fan of, Andrew. This is a 4-2-3-1. Oh, absolutely. 4-2-3-1. Then we've got Promes on the right. We've got Berisha on the left. And then in the hole behind Smolov, if you can't not pick Smolov. And then I've got Ilya Maximov from Arsenal Tula. So it was lucky that he left um, Angie the other week. So that was that was quite lucky for me. So did well. You had you had six Russians as well as well. In, oh, did I? Uh, oh, that. So, oh, I hope you all stick. Yeah. I hope you all stuck to the foreigner rule. Yeah, oh, I actually, that's a good no, point. No, no, no. I, did, I didn't, but but I did have. I oh, also you're gonna have to six, reconsider. Six Russians in my squad. I think I think Andrew failed, failed that. Um, failed no, that no. Test. no, Mario Mario Fernandez saved me. I've got my oh, fifth really? Russian in, in the oh, team. You are gonna have to <laughs> reconsider. <laughs> So we all, all our team would would make it in the league. That's that's pretty good. I thought you said yours wouldn't. I thought you said yours was uh, missing a missing a couple of Russians. No, not my team. Oh. I have I have plenty of them. Oh, good. Okay, well, my team, my team is stacked with Russians. <laughs> Just so many. <laughs> Vitali Mukko will be very happy with you. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. For the listeners, that is open on the Russian Football News Facebook page. I don't know if you can fit the 11 on Twitter, but you, you can try and just shorten the names. I'm sure we know who you mean. But do give us your 11s because it would be fantastic to see what people come up with and try and justify them a bit as well because that's always a bit of fun. Anyway, I think that pretty much brings the end of the podcast. Nice little fun note to end on there. Thanks, Connor, for your suggestion. And, of course, do ask your questions for us on Twitter, Facebook, and we'll try our best to answer them. So it just leaves me to thank the guests, Andrew Flint. Thank you again. Cheers, Thomas. Always a pleasure. And Toker again, the editor. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Always a pleasure. Okay, perfect. So it's at Russ Football News on Twitter, Russian Football News Facebook. Subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, or whatever's going nowadays. Do keep reading the website. We've got stuff going up on there all the time. And hopefully we're just going to keep giving you the insight on Russian football. Okay, thank you.